Technology moves faster than our ethics. If artificial intelligence and criminal sentencing algorithms are so good, why is there this pause? Want to know what I think? My guess is that something's not quite right with this setup. At this point in our adventure, we're in a bit of a precarious position. The prospect of using artificial intelligence as a predictor for human behavior in our legal system is right around the corner. But I have so many questions, and most of them seem to be going unanswered. And the biggest one is this. If we know that the human-run judicial system has been compromised by this concept of bias, and we also know that artificial intelligence is proving to be some kind of solution for that, why do we have this hesitation? There's this pause, this space in between, and I guess I want to know why. One of the problems in the industry right now is that there isn't one definition of AI. This is Asaf Lubin. He's someone who I've been lucky enough to have been in contact with for the past year through a law program at Yale University. Asaf works as a Bernstein Human Rights Fellow at this NGO called Privacy International in London. He's a fellow at the Information Society Project and is about to complete his JSD, the degree of the Doctorate of the Science of Law at Yale where he studied international law with a specialization in the regulation of disruptive technologies, such as drones, digital communication, surveillance, and artificial intelligence. The organization he works with, Privacy International, is committed to advancing domestic and international policies that strengthen privacy protection and data regulation, and in the context of sentencing algorithms, Privacy International is doing a lot of really important work in the field of artificial intelligence. And so with all of that being said, I wanted to sit down with him and talk about this idea of sentencing algorithms, and if they're really as good as they're cracked up to be. The first thing I wanted to know was what exactly artificial intelligence is. Essentially, I wanted to see if Asaf could define it. One of the problems in the industry right now is that there isn't one definition of AI. The IEEE, which is the standardizing body of the international tech community, is right now developing a set of standards for lawful AI or ethical AI. A lot of NGOs, including Privacy International, were involved in the drafting of that report. They're now developing a second draft because we offered a lot of commentary. So they're going to be changing some of what they wrote in the first draft. So that will become standards that are binding on all the AI developing community. The next thing I asked Asaf was if he thought that there could ever be a standard definition of what artificial intelligence is. So what I think will happen is we'll start moving towards sector by sector definitions of AI and not one generalized definition. So there will be one conceptualization of AI in the context of, let's say, decision making and justice a different definition of AI for security in the military, a third definition of AI for commercial purposes, uh, what is the best trip for you type thing. So there are commonalities between these definitions, but all of these might have different ethical standards and different considerations, which will therefore result in different definitions at the end. There's a ton of ambiguity here. We don't really know how to define artificial intelligence, and it really does depend on the context in which they're being used. Another question I wanted to ask Asaf, though, was this. 
given the ambiguity and how artificial intelligence is being treated as though it's this mysterious black box, what exactly separates it from the human mind? In previous conversations, Asaf had mentioned that artificial intelligence has the same bias as a human, but it's a little bit better. So I asked him why. We have an understanding of artificial intelligence today that might be different than in 10 years' time. And the point people like to talk about is the point of singularity, which is when AIs will be able to think like humans and even suppress human capabilities or human understanding. Right now, we're not even close to that point of singularity. But the movement we're seeing in getting to that point is exponentially fast. Another huge component that will help this trajectory is quantum computing, in that robots are developing the capacity to think faster than humans and analyze more data than humans. And the more they're able to consume different sources of data and analyze them, the ability they have to produce results is faster than that of humans. So I guess, with the ethical implications apart, and given that artificial intelligence can process case law and precedents faster than humans, would they be more efficient? Yes and no. Yes, it would be faster. But faster is not equivalent with efficiency. The next question you have to ask yourself is the capacity of the device or computer to take into account things that are not evident from just a series of repeated decisions even massive decisions. So this notion that humans have of balancing interests or balancing considerations that goes beyond just, here's what 200 people said over 10 years, and I, I'll just take the median and say that's what a reasonable person would do. No, a reasonable person takes into account other factors that a computer might not. That's the first problem. The second problem is that computers make connections that aren't necessarily there. And there are a lot of examples of this. Multiple pictures of a husky were presented to a computer, and the computer was then presented with a cat in the snow. And the fact that the cat was in the snow made it think that it was seeing a husky. Because without the coders realizing it, all of the pictures they initially showed the computer were of huskies in the snow. So the computer identified the commonality of snow as relating to huskies, where we would not have necessarily made the same connection. These are the problems with human thinking. You can dump as much data as you want, but the computer is able to identify commonalities that you have not intended for it to identify. That's what algorithms are best, are best at. They are best at identifying these commonalities. And that is what creates biases. To the extent that you're bettering the algorithms constantly, you may try to make the promise that over a long time, there will be less of these mistakes uh, made. But when it comes to life and death decisions, are we okay that such decisions be based on algorithms which are innately grounded in some margin of error? Uh, so a robot in war making decisions on the basis of his limited, its limited sensing capabilities, or an algorithm deciding if you're released on parole or not, these are really troubling issues. And the common statements you get back is, oh, don't worry, don't worry, we'll always have a human in the loop. 
We'll, we're not saying the human should be taken out of the loop completely. We'll keep the human in the loop. At this point in our conversation, I asked about the possibility of humans just consulting the algorithm, or just using the algorithm as another opinion in the sentencing process. The problem I have with that argument is twofold. Because I want to make sure that those consulting the algorithms are knowledgeable enough about the tech to understand what they're actually seeing. And many of these judges or parole officers are not. They're not techies. So what they're missing is training. The second thing is that I want to make sure that they understand to treat this not as a decisive factor, but just as another opinion, and not even an expert opinion, just an opinion. If algorithms don't serve as some kind of expert opinion because they can be wrong, and if they're not necessarily less biased than a human, what do they qualify as? And I guess more importantly, why do we gravitate towards them? Well, because the argument goes, and this is a very common thing in policymaking in government, say if you ever have a problem, you just need to dump big data on it. You hear this constantly. We don't know what to do about X. Oh, just do a survey and big data the issue. Just dump a lot of information on it and, and use algorithms or something. And policymakers assume that tech is the end-all, be-all of problems. And we at Privacy International are very cautious of that conceptualization. We're not saying that tech is necessarily bad. We're just saying that tech is not perfect. Tech is certainly not the solution for all of the world's ills and misfortunes. We did paroles without tech for a long time, and parole worked. It wasn't ideal, but it worked. Your decision to add tech is uh, under the conceptualization that it will somehow make things better. And first, you have the responsibility to prove to me, to prove to society, that it will actually make things better. And that's a very high bar to meet, and I'm not sure they've met that bar yet. And then you have uh, these problems with due process violations, which is what Loomis was raising in Wisconsin. And the court rejected it in that case, but I think that the court didn't fully uh, understand the kind of the gravity of the concern. There's a huge uh, claim to be made about due process here. And at the heart of due process is the idea that I want a human to be the one making these decisions for me. This really is my gut instinct about this, this issue. While I'm willing to accept that a human will make mistakes about life and death decisions, I'm not willing to accept that, that a metal, a one-zero machine, will make the same mistakes. I want to focus in on this. Asaf says something really interesting here. We're not willing to accept that algorithms can be wrong, or as he puts it, these one-zero machines. But why? Why aren't we willing to accept that risk when we accept the same ones from humans? Well, I live in a society where I am willing to accept that there are institutions that will make decisions about my life. But they have to be run by electable, accountable people, not by opaque algorithms or codes. The question becomes whether or not you are able to create an algorithm that is foolproof. The claims that these AI developers are making is that, yes, we will. 
but I am not sure. I think that there is always going to be one case that doesn't fit the pattern. And then the question becomes whether or not we can accept this 1%. My gut response is that I'm not willing to accept the mistake by a machine, period. I'm willing to accept them by humans, but not by machines. The problem is that we assume tech to be objective. We assume tech-driven solutions are not influenced by human limitations. And it's not always the case. In fact, perhaps it's never the case. It is certainly the responsibility of whoever is making these algorithms and whoever is utilizing these argument, algorithms to prove to us that that is indeed the case. And I don't think they are capable of doing that. And until they are, they should not be using them in the military or in the court system. After talking to Asaf, there was so much that I learned. But something still wasn't sitting right with me. Something about the relationship between artificial intelligence and humans. There was still something missing for me. And then it hit me. What I realized is that this relationship with artificial intelligence, it is nothing more than a paradox. Think about it this way. We buy into the power of artificial intelligence because we believe them to be objective. Anything that is supported by cold hard data or numbers behind the algorithms are viewed as impartial and therefore to some extent unobjectionable. After all, the saying goes, numbers don't lie, right? And that's why we've especially tended to gravitate towards using them in our legal system, one that has been compromised time and time again by human errors. But one question has remained in my mind. Who exactly gets to program these algorithms? One of the biggest things that I have realized in these past few episodes is that from the very beginning, a human is responsible for creating them. Whether it's one person in Silicon Valley or even a team of people in Congress, there is always going to be an utterly human element in creating these algorithms. And so when this one person or even group of people decide to code them, they inevitably program in their subconscious biases, their sets of values, the way that they see the world. And this is the ultimate paradox. It's this kind of fallacy of impartiality. And the biggest realization of all? These algorithms are nothing more than simply an extension of the human institution that created it. If you remember Mr. Gottlieb from the first episode, The Public Defender, he does the best job of explaining this idea. Okay, um, and I just have one more question. No, this is going good. Um, so, artificial intelligence in general, but mostly in the sense of like sentencing algorithms and bias predictors like the Harvard test, do you think that that helps or hurts in the, in the journey to kind of eliminate as much bias as possible? Well, I told you before about my old little saying of GIGO, G-I-G-O, garbage in, garbage out. And if humans are putting it in, it still has that. I, I, don't, I don't think you can make machines unfilter the, the initial paradigm or the initial formula. So somebody's going to put information in and that's going to come from a biased source and the foundation of that information 
you might you might have the appearance that it's fair and not biased, but they're finding out everywhere they do things of this sort that the people that are putting in or making the tests, um, there was some unconscious um, or subconscious bias, and if that and if then if you get the answer just to pretend that it's not biased because it's a machine, I think uh, we're a little far off from that uh, that answer. You know that solution anyway. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah, we're just yeah, it does. we're not there yet. All right. The precogs went wrong. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. That's that's all I have. Okay. Does that make sense? I mean, yeah. I mean, so in the end, what really separates man from machine? In the context of sentencing algorithms and the case of Eric Loomis and everything that it opened up, maybe not a lot. But we're not done. And in fact, we're far from being done. Artificial intelligence may not have been the end-all, be-all solution that we were searching for, but it's forcing us to take a hard look at our own system. The fact remains that our judicial system is not perfect. There are cracks in the system where bias does manifest itself. And the rise of artificial intelligence in the legal system has helped us to see that. There is an urgent need for either a person or a group of people to unpack the legal and ethical implications of artificial intelligence and sentencing algorithms before we let this technology outpace the time we need to reflect on it. Now let's see if we can make that a reality.